Well, this past week, my wife and I reached a new stage in our marriage. We were having a conversation, and in the middle of the conversation, my wife looked at me, and she said, please make me a promise. I said, what? You always ask what before you say okay. I said, what? She said, please promise me you won't buy me something I don't want for Christmas. I mean, that's the point we've reached at our, in our relationship now. Gone is any, any like obligation, really, to try to surprise the other. Gone is pretty much any opportunity to surprise the other. And now we've just pretty much reached the point in our relationship where we just tell each other, hey, get me this. Or we do what I did this week after that conversation, and I just bought my own Christmas present. So I found... I mean, just cut out the middleman, right, or middle woman in this case. So I, I found an electric bike that I wanted, and I was so excited. I found a super sale on it, and I, I couldn't believe the price. I had to make sure it wasn't refurbished or anything like that. It was brand new. I ordered it, and it was supposed to get here like the week before Christmas. Merry Christmas. And then they put it on rush shipping, and I, I got it on Friday. My, my bike was delivered on Friday, and yesterday it was 50 degrees. I mean, clearly this was God smiling upon me because he wanted me to have this electric bike, so he gave me a great price on it, and not only that, he gave me great weather to enjoy it in. So yesterday morning I put together the bike, and he had to charge the battery for four hours before the initial run, and so I got the bike put together, and I decided I'm just going to take it out for a quick stroll around the neighborhood without the electricity hooked up, just to see how it rides without any power. So I go down, and I'm a, a street over from my house, and everything's working great, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm pedaling, and, and nothing's happening. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And I just hear this, this like, grinding noise. And I get off uh, the bike, and after I've passed about six houses on the bike I put together, the chain's off, and it is tangled around so I have to take the walk of shame up a hill and around the neighborhood in sweatpants. I've promised my wife I would never wear out of the house. But I thought, you know, it's just a quick stroll around the neighborhood. What's the worst that can happen? So I get the bike back to the house, and I'm in the garage, and I have to YouTube a video of how to get a bike chain off of a bike. And I do that, and then I have the chain off of the bike, and the chain is in my hands. And Brooke comes into the garage, and she says, how's your new bike? Now, I didn't know at the time, because I was also listening to a podcast, that she couldn't see the chain in my hands. And I thought, oh, this is how we're going to play today. And so I'm like, not well. And she's like, why are you yelling at me? And I'm like, you never asked somebody how their bike ride was when they're holding a bike chain. She's like, I wasn't looking at the chain. I'm like, great, marital strife on top of a broken bike fantastic, and I have family visiting. Happy holidays. So she went on a walk. I put the chain back on the bike. I apologized. Everything was fine. Waited two more hours for that battery to charge. It charged. Watched Ohio State get destroyed. Needed a, needed a little therapy after that and decided, all right, I'm going to go take a bike ride on my new bike. I got the chain put on. It was great. I put the battery in. It fires. I'm like, this is going to be fantastic. I can't wait. I go riding down the hill. I go over a couple houses away. I turn it on. Nothing. Like, maybe it's, I'm looking at everything. Does 
not work. I take the battery out. I put it back in. Make sure does not. I spend an hour trying to get this great Christmas present that I bought myself that I was so excited about to work only to discover that it's not going to work. And then I read the reviews online. <laughs> and I discovered why I got such a great deal on that electric bike. And so I decided it's going back to the store. Well, it came in a giant box. And, you know, if there's a wind gust, having to carry a giant box and a bike into the store for a return is just not an ideal scenario. So I figure I'm putting them up for free for multiple days. My brother-in-law can tag along and he can help me. So I'm like, hey, Nick, can you help me? I was like, would love to. So we load the bike and the box into the car. We drive to the store. We take it up to the return desk. They're processing the return. And they said, did you get that bike in that box? I said, yep. I said, well, we're going to need you to get the bike back into the box. Now, this is where some people lose their minds, and they start to scream, they start to yell, they start to go airport mode, and that really doesn't get you very far. So I just said, okay, and I picked up the bike by the seat, and when I did that, the seat just comes popping off, so I just acted like I meant to do that, chucked it in the box, and then my brother-in-law and I picked up the bike put the rear tire in the box with the help of somebody else who was behind us in line, and I said, it's back in the box, and they just kind of smiled and gave me my money back. <laughs> there are no guarantees in life. Now, granted, I could have read the reviews and maybe had more of an idea, but even then, some of the people who buy this bike rave about it and give it five-star reviews. And in life, we just don't know what we're going to get. None of us is all-knowing. None of us have all the certainty. Sometimes we think we have high probability of knowing how circumstances and situations are going to go. But even then, even then, there's a lot of uncertainty. And what we're going to talk about today is how we can keep our minds in a good place, how we can live our lives with joy, even in the midst of all of this uncertainty. So if you have your phones or your Bibles, I hope you'll follow along with us today in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can find in the app store that you utilize. And once it's downloaded and installed on your device, you can go to a feature within the Bible app called Events. And there, either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201 and Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. We've been walking through Ecclesiastes for the last couple months. That's where we'll be today in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And if you're joining us via this stream, we hope you're having a great time visiting friends and family. The verses will be available on the screen below as we continue our look at life as from somebody who was the wisest person, King Solomon, who ever lived and yet was unsatisfied because of the choices that he ultimately made. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting in verse 1, we read these words. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. You never know what you're going to get. Not only do you never know what you're going to get in life, but you don't even know what you're going to get with another person. 
Sometimes you think you have a really good feel or you have a you, you can judge somebody, you have a really good idea of who they really are, but what we're reminded here is that you frequently don't know the motives of other people. They may tell you one thing, but their heart's in an entirely different place. And Solomon says, in the midst of all of this, it's important for us to remember that God's the ultimate judge. God's the one who knows the motive. God's the one who knows what's really going on behind the scenes. God is aware. God's the judge. He knows the motives. So life is uncertain and people are uncertain. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. So there's all this uncertainty and all these differences. There's all these differences that we see amongst people, amongst how they choose to live their lives, amongst what they do. There are people who make good choices. There are people who make bad choices. There are people who make a desire to follow after God. There are people that make no desire whatsoever to follow after God. But there's ultimately one great unifier. And that great unifier that comes to everyone, regardless of the choices that they make, regardless of whether they want to pursue a relationship with God or not pursue a relationship with God, the great equalizer is death. But death, death will visit us all. Death happens to us all. And this is the point where some people just throw in the towel and say, then what's the point? Why does it matter anyway if death's going to visit us all? It is the ultimate unifier. All of our differences, all of the different circumstances and beliefs and ideals that we have, and yet death comes and it visits us all. And notice the commentary that Solomon, under the, guise of the, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, says about this. That this is an evil. This is an evil. In all that is done under the sun. The same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So regardless of the fact of how you live your life, regardless of what you pursue, you are going to die. But Solomon says, this is, this is an evil. This is an evil. It's evil that we all must meet this, this end result. And to understand this fully, we have to go back to God's original plan. And we see it on display in the first couple chapters of the Bible. We see God's original plan, that God, God is creator, and he makes all of this beauty. He creates all the, the majesty that we see around us. He, sees, he creates the majesty that we are yet to explore in space and in the deep regions of the oceans here on our planet we, that we haven't even fully understood. That God creates all of that. God creates humanity for relationship with him, to enjoy all that he's created. And God is holy and God is perfect, and that's God's standard. One of perfection and one of holiness. And every single one of us fails to measure up to that standard. Because God's holy and because God's perfect, there are consequences when we fail to measure up to the standard that he's created. And at that time, death comes into the picture. 
It isn't until Adam and Eve go and they take of the forbidden fruit that death comes into the equation. Now, God in his foreknowledge knew all this was going to happen. First Peter tells us that. First Peter tells us before the foundations of the world, God had already put in place the plan of redemption. So God in his foreknowledge knew the choice that we would all make. And yet we've still made that choice. So God still loves us in spite of our rebellion, but there are still consequences for our rebellion. And the ultimate consequence for our rebellion against God is death. And that is the penalty. And that is why it happens to us all. That death visits us all because sin visits us all. And that is why there is death. And the reason that there's so much pain surrounding death is because deep within us, deep within us, we long for God's original plan. We long for relationship with him. And when we don't have that relationship or when that relationship isn't as it should be, people try to fill that void with so many other things, with substances, with sex, with, with success, you name it. We've seen it here in Solomon's life. Yet none of it fully satisfies. There's a longing within us all for how it should be. And that's what's going on here, and that's why death hurts so much. Because it was foreign to God's original plan, it's foreign to God's original design. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of the, them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Look, as long as you're alive, you have hope. As long as you're alive, you have hope. And I know some people just want to throw in the towel because you find yourself in some really challenging circumstances and some really challenging situations. And I just want to remind you again that if you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you may wonder what that is and you might be miserable, but I just want to remind you, if you're not dead, God's not done with you. So you have hope if you're alive. This is exciting. This is exciting. He says it's better to be a, a living dog than a dead lion. It's better to be the tiniest little dog than a dead. Now, you would compare a little dog against a, a dead lion, and you would say, or against a lion, if they're both alive, certainly a lion's going to be able to accomplish and impact things on a lot greater scale than a little dog. Once the lion's dead, what use is that? And Solomon says it's better to be just one of those little dogs that people carry around in a little purse and have little outfits and bows for it and treat it better than they treat their kids. It's better to be one of those, <clears throat> one of those little, little dogs. It's just, you know, they got the high-pitched bark and they're a poop factory, but everybody, everybody loves. It's better to be that than a dead lion. Because the memory of the dead is forgotten. The memory of the dead is forgotten. I, was, I went to the last Packers game on, on Thursday night against the Titans, and at, at halftime they were 
putting Leroy Butler's name and, and number up in the, the wall of fame. And I vaguely, you know, I, I'm not originally from here, so I vaguely remember the career of Leroy Butler. And I know a lot of Packer fans like vaguely remember the career of Leroy Butler. Well, how much do you remember about Bernie Kosar? All right, give me a break. So, you know, I, I vaguely remember the, the career of, of Leroy Butler. But my kids have no idea who Leroy Butler is. And he's still alive. You, you look at all the accomplishments that, that people dominate the headlines with today. That's become the memories of tomorrow. And soon, everything's just succinctly wrapped up in a couple sentences of history. And then it's forgotten. That's not to depress you, that's not to say that life doesn't matter. No, it's just the opposite. It's to say, make every day count. You get one, and then you're done. It's important to want to leave a good legacy to our kids and our grandkids, but I, if I'm being honest, I don't know the name of my great-grandparents. My great-great-grandparents, I'd have to dig up the family tree that I don't even think we have, and we've tried to do the Ancestry.org or com or <clears throat> whatever it is, and that didn't yield any results. So I just used to tell my grandpa that his grandparents were illegal aliens just to have some fun with them. But it's just a reminder to us to make today count. And it's important to want to leave a legacy, but don't become paralyzed by that and chase your dreams and don't worry about what everybody thinks and says about you because it's going to be irrelevant it should be irrelevant to you now it's going to be irrelevant as time goes by if you're not dead you're not done and make the most of your life go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for god has already approved what you do let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Now, white garments, were, they were worn by rich people in terms of celebration. They're kind of, they were kind of a, the nice attire. If you were getting dressed up to go to a party, these white garments would be worn to go celebrate, and they were worn by rich people. And this is a reminder to us to enjoy life. Enjoy the time that we have. Enjoy your life. I know some people think that to find joy and, and satisfaction in things is somehow wrong, and nothing could be further from the truth. Enjoy your life. Find a hobby that brings you joy and do it. Go get a new outfit. Go to a party. Get the tickets to the game. Find the things that make you happy and do them. It isn't wrong to enjoy life. We have one. So go enjoy it. And that's not a call for reckless living or anything like that. But it is to say somehow there's this, there's this idea that's crept in to some of our minds that if I'm going to go enjoy life, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. And nothing could be further from the truth. We have one life. Go enjoy it. Make fun a regular part of your life. Make it a regular part of your life. Now, some of you are engineers, and so I just want to tell you, schedule it. 
schedule fun. And I know for you that might be going and finding an original textbook and reading through it. Great. Have at it. All right. You have a great time. If that's what makes you happy, but schedule fun. Schedule fun. Have fun in life. Make sure you budget for it. Don't be reckless. Be wise about how you utilize the resources that God has given you. Oil lacking on your head. All right, so, so this doesn't mean you just go to the store and you buy the most designer outfit that you can find and you can't afford it, but you just throw it on the credit card. He's not talking about that. He's talking about being responsible in this, but responsibly go out and have a good time. That isn't wrong. It isn't evil to do. You have one life. Go enjoy your life. Be responsible in how you do it, but go enjoy your life. Go have fun. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. You want a life that brings you joy? You better get right who you marry and what you do for work. You want a life that brings you joy? Make your family and your spouse a priority. Make your family and your spouse a priority. Happy spouse, happy house, all right? Make your family, make your spouse a priority. Enjoy your work. Do not go through life hating the job you go to day in and day out. Does that mean that every day you go to work is going to be fantastic? No, there are going to be problems. But if you're hating what you have to go do, you need to go find something else to go do. Enjoy your family, enjoy your spouse, enjoy your work. If you want a happy life, you have to get these areas right. So for those of you who aren't married yet, listen to me. Be very picky. Be very picky about who you'll marry. It is better to be single wishing you were married than married wishing you were single. Be incredibly picky about who you will marry and spend the rest of your life with. In, in an environment like this, be incredibly picky about what job offer you're going to accept. Be picky about these things. You have to get these areas right. So much of frustration in people's lives come down to these two areas. And it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So make the wise choice. Do Have your list of non-negotiables and what you're going to look for in your future spouse. And don't you dare, don't you dare say, well, this is on the list, but, I mean, look at them. So we can, because that's going to fade, and that's going to get really old. And you might think, ah, yeah, in 15 years it'll fade, probably about 15 weeks, all right? That's going to fade. So you better make sure you really love them and that they're the person that they should be. You've got to get this right. And some of you have already, you might not have gotten that right, and now you're in a relationship, and you're like, is it too late for me? What do I do? No, you work on it. And you together put in the hard work. And together you say, all right, we're probably not where we need to be, but let's fight for each other, and let's fight to get there. If you find yourself in a job that you just hate constantly, don't just, don't just settle, but find a better opportunity. You've got to get these areas right if you want the most fulfilled life. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. 
For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. It's not always the smartest or the best product or the most talented that ultimately succeeds. And this can be maddening. It can be maddening to see. It can be maddening to see that it's not always the smartest or the best product or the most talented. Especially when you feel like you're the smartest or you have the best product or you're the most talented. And you might want to slam your head against a wall because on paper you have everything you should need for the best outcome, and yet that outcome doesn't happen for whatever reason. This can be maddening, and it's just a reminder to us that the world in which we live is not perfect, it's broken, and it's flawed. And there are circumstances beyond our control. But you know what's coming? In all this uncertainty, in all this uncertainty when sometimes it's not the most talented, it's not the smartest, it's not the best product that wins the day, you know what we can be certain of even though there's all this uncertainty? What we can be certain of is this, that death, it comes for us all. It comes for us all. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, that it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. I love the story of David and Goliath. I love that story. It's so great that there's the giant, and he's approaching, and there's David, anointed by God, and, and David with the slingshot, and God directs the, the rock, and he kills Goliath. I love that story. You, you know the problem with that story? It shows up once in the Bible. And every underdog story in the history of humanity has gone back pretty much to David and Goliath. But the problem is, it happens once. Because how many times in our lives do we see the Goliath come and just destroy the David? We see it all the time in business. We see it all the time in sports. We see it all the time in life. Because it's normative. And so here we would think, uh-oh, the big kingdom comes, and it comes upon this tiny little town, and they're going to ultimately destroy it, right? That's what we would think. But that's not what happens. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard what we have here is another david and goliath story that this great city comes to take over this town and there in the town is a humble man who isn't very impressive to look at but he's wise and so he devises a plan he devises a scheme that will repel the greater the greater army and it works and this tiny little town is able to lay waste to this kingdom, and they retreat. And what happens? Everybody goes on with their lives, and they forget about the wise man. And Solomon says that wisdom saved the city, but its legacy is still forgotten. That even though wisdom saved that tiny little town, 
it's still forgotten. And one of the greatest points of frustration in your life could be that you remember a time where there was sanity. And you remember a time where things were different. And you remember wisdom. But it seems like you're alone. Because you remember a time where you've seen wisdom and you've seen how it works. And now you look around you and you're like, there isn't any wisdom to be found anywhere. And it drives you crazy because you recall and you remember but seemingly no one else does so what do you do with that frustration the words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools wisdom is better than weapons of war for one sinner destroys much good. We live in an uncertain world, and there's so much about our world, there's so much about our lives that is uncertain. And yet, we all have one certainty, and that is death. So do we just live depressed? Do we just go through the, the motions every day, angry and bitter about all the flaws and all the destruction that we see unfolding around us? Do we just live trapped? What do we do? And how can we live when we look around us and we say, nobody is wise anymore. Nobody has any idea of what's going on. When we don't need to look for a reminder that this is a broken and a flawed world, that those reminders come and they visit us often. How do we keep our sanity in such uncertain times? What do we do? Well, I think the starting point is to remember just that. That death will visit us all. And that's not something that I say to be morbid. But it's something to remind us that each and every day that we have is a gift. That tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And that we should spend this life, the only one that we get, being full of joy. Finding happiness. That yes, this is a broken and a flawed world. And yes, death will visit us all. But today is a gift. And today I have the opportunity to do something with my life. I have the opportunity to love people. I have the opportunity to serve people. I have the opportunity to go and do fun things. And there are so many things that can frustrate us about that. Our relationships can frustrate us. Our work environment can frustrate us. The fact that we don't always succeed can frustrate us, especially when we feel like we were the best in a situation, in a scenario. That can frustrate us. It can frustrate us when we look and we, we see that wisdom is ignored. And frankly, it's forgotten so much right now. That can be so incredibly frustrating. So how can we find peace in the midst of all of this uncertainty with death staring at us. And that's when we remember that for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, who came to pay the penalty for my mistakes and your mistakes, for my sin and your sin, who came to set a way that I could be restored to the way I was originally designed, and that's to have an intimate relationship with my Creator. Be reminded 
but death, it doesn't have to be feared. In fact, just the opposite. That the hope for those of us who follow after God through a relationship with His Son, Jesus, that death is not the end. It's just the beginning. And it is the way that we are with our Creator forevermore. And so the days we have left, however much time that might be, we can love and we can live and we can experience the fullness of joy. We can experience the fullness that all this life has to offer. That we should go and we should have fun. And we should love people. And we should find joy in the work we do. And yes, there's uncertainty. But one day, all will be made right. And just as, just as circumstances are uncertain, so are people. But the thing that is certain is that when we die, and we will, we will stand before the God who is certain. Who knows the motives. And who loves us even in the midst of our brokenness. And if that will be the perspective that we take, if that will be how we live our lives, we can find joy. Even in the midst of uncertainty. God, I pray that we would be people who live every day to the fullest. Don't become tied down and discouraged when we're reminded of the uncertainty of this world, we're reminded of the brokenness of this world, we're reminded of all the flaws and all the failures that we see. God, that death wouldn't have to be something that we fear uncontrollably. But God, we would be reminded that this life is a gift. That you've created us with a purpose. And I pray that we would live it to its fullest. God, I pray that you would work in us as the uncertainties of this world can discourage so easily. And I pray instead that we would have an eternal perspective. God, we would make the most of the days you've given us. We would love our family and love our spouse as well. We would find joy in the work that we do. And we would love people and serve them follow hard after you. God, that you would use us to impact the world around for your glory. Jesus, make our days and make our lives count for you. We ask in your name.